The bedrock and surface deposits of Pennsylvania span over a billion years of geologic time. I guess we can say that Pennsylvania literally rocks. Welcome to the PCPG podcast series. The Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists formally invites you to join us on a journey to explore the geology of the Keystone State and to meet the people who study it and work with it in their everyday lives. Welcome to the PCPG podcast. I'm your host, Russ Losco. The earth is not silent. People may talk about the silence and tranquility of nature, but silence does not exist on the earth. Unlike the other terrestrial planets, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, earth is a dynamic planet, a planet of movement, a planet of change, of earthquakes and volcanoes, a planet of constant sound. The earth is a storyteller, if you will just take the time to listen to her. One of the features that makes Earth unique is the presence of liquid water. Water has been found on Mars, on Jupiter's moons of Io and Europa, and on Saturn's moon of Enceladus. Water ice has even been found recently on our moon, though in amounts and concentrations that make the Sahara Desert look like a rainforest in comparison. Water in and of itself is not that uncommon in the solar system or the universe. But liquid water on the surface of a planet is unusual and it is absolutely critical to our existence. The amount of water on Earth has remained relatively constant throughout the last four billion years. The planet's water owes its existence to a number of sources. The time period known among astronomers as the heavy bombardment period, the Hadean Eon, about 4.6 to 4.0 billion years ago, saw the Earth being impacted by numerous objects, including asteroids and comets, which would have contributed significant water. This was the dominant theory on the origins of water on the planet for some time. Recent research, however, indicates that much of the water probably was a part of the original solar nebula and was part of the matrix of the planet from the beginning. It would seem that all of the terrestrial planets, that is to say Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars, were initially given their share of water, but only Earth managed to retain hers for the long term in significant quantities. The same humble molecules of water have been recycled over and over throughout the Earth's long history, being purified by natural processes for reuse. The hydrologic cycle on Earth is inspirational. Solar radiation heats the Earth, causing the evaporation of water from the surface, which then condenses into clouds and eventually falls as precipitation. This precipitation then either flows back towards the oceans or infiltrates into the ground to become groundwater, which in turn makes its way via a slower route back to the oceans as well. The process of evaporation, condensation, precipitation, and filtration has provided the planet with recycled clean water for eons. This concept can be both inspiring and a little bit stomach churning when you realize as you sip your morning coffee or tea that every molecule of water in that cup has cycled through countless kidneys in the past. That glass of cold water that tastes so good on a hot day likely contains water that has passed through the kidneys of a stegosaurus, a woolly mammoth or two, or maybe through Cleopatra or George Washington. The hydrologic cycle can deliver enormous amounts of water during storms. 
For example, it's estimated that Hurricane Harvey in 2017 dropped 27 trillion gallons of water on Texas and Louisiana. This water, following its precipitation, picks up sediments and transports them downstream. This flowing water with sediments in suspension becomes a mighty power saw, slowly and inexorably cutting its way through even the hardest of rocks. This is the source of our rivers and streams. Every picturesque waterfall from Niagara Falls on the American-Canadian border to the 3,200-foot-high Angel Falls in Venezuela owes its source to this precipitation. Water is dihydrogen monoxide, a simple molecule, a modest molecule with only one oxygen and two hydrogens. Yet this unassuming, humble little molecule is responsible for the erosion of continents and the dissolution of minerals on a colossal scale. Water erosion is relentless. As one engineer once said to me when discussing erosion control measures, water always wins. Water in and of itself does not have much erosive ability, but it has the power to lift and transport sediments, and on Earth, the water flows in vast amounts, and that means lots of sediments. Think of flowing water as an immense stream of liquid sandpaper. Water erosion has flattened countless mountain ranges in the course of the Earth's history, then carried the sediments out to sea to be deposited and recycled into future sedimentary rocks. Some of those rocks have the potential, given the correct tectonic forces, to then become future mountains. These mountains will, in their turn, succumb to the relentless power of water. In its solid form as ice, water has covered and sculpted the Earth's continents during the past glacial periods. The Australian naturalist Tim Flannery once said, There is only one question you need to ask of a continent in order to determine the fate of its people. Did you have a good ice age? Present-day alpine glaciers form enormous rivers of ice that pluck rocks as they move downslope becoming giant power sanders that further grind the bedrock into powder. Continental glaciers, such as the Laurentide Ice Sheet that covered much of North America during the last Ice Age, did this on a mammoth scale. Imagine 2.5 million square kilometers of power sander churning out huge amounts of pulverized rock. The powdered rock that is produced is known as rock flour. That rock flower is carried by meltwater and wind away from the glacier, but it is the windborne deposits that are the most significant to us mortal humans. The massive ice of glaciers breed strong catabatic winds. These are winds born of the cold, dense air over the ice mass, which then flows off of the glacier into the warmer, less dense air in front. Here, the wind picks up the rock flower, which can be carried for hundreds and thousands of miles. These strong glacial catabatic winds then blanket the landscape with material known as luss, the finely textured soil that is the most productive of farmland soils. These luss deposits are typified by the dark rich soils of the breadbasket of the American Great Plains and the Asian steppes. These soils, born of ice erosion, support the food chain of much of the human population. Ice is unique among solids. 
Virtually all substances become more dense when going from the liquid to the solid phase. Water, however, is different. As a polar molecule, water's geometry, with two hydrogen atoms skewed to one side of the molecule and one oxygen to the other, gives a slightly positive versus negative polarity. The negatively charged oxygens are attracted to the positively charged hydrogens of other water molecules. This means that as water starts to solidify, the molecules form a ring, stitching the oxygens of one molecule to the hydrogens of adjacent water molecules. This leaves a void space in the center of the ring, making the ice larger and less dense than the liquid water. This is why ice, alone of all the substances known, floats when dropped into its liquid counterpart. Most importantly for us humans, perhaps, is the fact that water makes up 60% of the average mammalian body, and we are, after all, simply mammals with attitudes. Maybe the fact that we are mostly water is why we are drawn to it, why we make yearly pilgrimages that we call vacations that almost always involve water. We, as humans, flock to oceans, rivers, and lakes for our time off, for our recreation. Pause and think about that word, literally our recreation. The musician Jimmy Buffett referred in one song to Mother Ocean. Homer in Odysseus tells of the sirens calling men into the sea. Herman Melville in Moby Dick observes that, Stand that man on his legs, set his feet a-going, and he will infallibly lead you to water, if water there be in all that region. The pull of water is in our blood. Land next to water is intrinsically more valuable to us than land that is not. Nothing is more soothing than listening to the sound of waves lapping on the shore or the flow of water in a stream. Water is so important to life partly due to water's incredible affinity for being a solvent. In fact, water has been called the universal solvent as it is capable of dissolving more substances than any other liquid. This is absolutely vital to every living thing on Earth. It means that wherever water goes, either through the air, through the soil, or through the bedrock, or through our own bodies, it carries along valuable chemicals, minerals, and nutrients. Unfortunately, the same characteristic allows water to become polluted and to transport these pollutants as it moves. It has been said that water has memory. Anybody who has ever tried to fix a leaking basement can certainly appreciate this notion. If you plug one leak, another invariably starts. But if water does have memory, what memories it must have? If only it had a voice to share those memories. But then, maybe it does have a voice. If you have ever sat on a beach, being lulled into relaxation by the sound of the waves, you have listened to the voice of the water that rhythmic sound chanting to us the water's story, speaking of distant beaches that it has visited, of the passing of whales and great beasts of the deep, and of ocean currents and depths as yet uncharted by humans. Perhaps it is this voice that draws us to water. When we listen to the sound of rain falling, perhaps 
It is the water trying to tell us of how it brought a proud mountain down from its lofty heights, reducing it to small hills, then to flat plains, until nothing remains of the mountain but the sediments deposited under the ocean, awaiting their turn to rise again. Maybe when we sit next to a babbling brook, it isn't babbling at all. Maybe it is reciting the epic tale of when it was the blood of a mighty Tyrannosaurus that struck terror into the hearts of all who beheld it. Perhaps when we step outside on a snowy winter evening and listen to the utter stillness broken only by the gentle hiss of the snow falling, it is the sound of the water telling us of the time that it slaked the thirst of some desert explorer in a far-off land, sparing his life to continue the journey. Could it be that the sound of a tea kettle boiling is the water telling us of the time that it was groundwater that clashed violently with magma in some long-ago volcano, triggering a violent phreatic eruption that devastated the surrounding area? Maybe that drip-drip sound of a leaky faucet is the water reminding us of its participation in the annual flooding of Amazonia during the rainy season that then goes on to support more biodiversity than can be found anywhere else on the planet. Water is simple, beautiful, powerful, terrible, wonderful, and absolutely crucial all at the same time. A flood in one area is envied by desert dwellers and people enduring droughts elsewhere. Water gives life, but it floods lands. It quenches thirst, it cleanses, yet it can pollute. It tears down mountains, yet it also builds land and enables new mountains. Without water, the earth would be a sterile ball of rock revolving endlessly around the sun, and we would not even exist. So next time you sample a well, take a shower, rinse out a coffee mug, or water your garden, listen to what the water is trying to tell you. It might just be a good story. The earth is not silent. The earth is constantly speaking to us, whispering to us, sometimes shouting at us, trying to tell her story. The earth, reminding us that she is a dynamic planet, a unique planet, a living planet, the only planet with liquid water at her surface. Earth reminding us that there is a reason why life evolved and thrives here and not elsewhere in the solar system. The Earth constantly telling us her story, if we would only pause to listen. This podcast is a production of the Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists. A special thanks to Cheyenne DeLawrence for our introduction. I'm your host, Russ Losco. Please tune in again for future podcasts from PCPG.